Get more Star Wars from the Back to Tank content each and every single week with the Star Wars from the Back to Tank Patreon tier. Help us keep the lights on in the studio throughout 2020. Head over to patreon.com slash Digital and pledge $3 or more a month and gain access to more Star Wars discussions. Without your support, we cannot continue to do these shows. Head over to patreon.com slash Digital and pledge. If you're easily offended, do not continue. We would be honored if you would join us. How are you feeling? Your latest workups and your condition indicate that all damage has been reversed. Recovery is total. I believe you have been quite fortunate. No further thanks are necessary, Commander, but you are most welcome. It is my function and pleasure as a medical droid to kill and heal human beings. I am a Jedi, like my father before me. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Star Wars from the Back to Tank, the Mandalorian edition. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, David. Hello. Everything's fine here. <laughs> I will continue to fly casual then. Our credentials work out. They're, they're, they're not too old. And I'll give Baby Yoda the gear shifter. There you go. <laughs> and you go and gnaw on this for a little bit. Keep down over there. Pipe down. Don't drown in the back of water. Yeah. Um... Cara Doom, though, you can come on over here. Sit on my lap. <laughs> nice and thick. Yeah, come yeah. here, girl. Take Especially, off that armor. Take, yeah, or leave it on. Why not? Oh, that caused a lot of chafing. Eh, whatever, Dave. Don't, <laughs> don't, uh, it's good protection for it's sexual good. performance. <laughs> what if I don't want to use a condom? I'll just use armor instead. Oh. Hey, 99%. Um,. You can't even say it. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about The Mandalorian. Yes, I know this is a very delayed discussion. I think the season finale happened about a month ago. Yes. But we were on winter break. It's, it's just how it is. People are going to have to get used to it. We usually take between December and February off. We need it because yes. we do 10 months of just nonstop work. I'm, I'm, I'm talking 100, and I'm not exaggerating, 120 hours plus a week is what I'm putting into the studio between the months of February and December. And I need those six to eight weeks off. So here we are. Here we are discussing the Mandalorian's first ever season finale, episode eight, titled Redemption. Uh, The season finale that caused the Star Wars fandom to scream out in unison. We're all squeeing all over each other. An orgasm. Yeah, it, and I will say right now, I'm not going to hold back. It was pretty effing fantastic. What a way to end <laughs> the first season of the very first Star Wars live action series. I can't be happier, Dave. And I know I've been a little bit of a negative Nancy with The Mandalorian, and I stand by my concerns. I stand by them yes. just because we had two amazing episodes back to back. It doesn't change how I feel about the overall structure of the season. However, we ended on a fucking high, Dave. Yes. Yeah. And honestly, when you take chapter eight into now that we can actually see the whole product together. Yeah. Honestly, dude, our our problems that we had with it, with the pacing, it kind of makes sense now once you take in when you take a look at chapter one to chapter eight, Favreau did a really good job writing. 
It's just the way that it's all cut out. Um, it's yeah. all cut up. I think the idea was sound. It's just there wasn't enough myth arc. It was there was a setup. Think about it, Dave. Baby Yoda is revealed. Yes. And then the client it. is chasing down the Mandalorian. He returns to Navarro, fights the client. That's the end of the actual myth arc. Yes. I, and then we can also add the the bonus stuff with the uh, with the bits, the tidbits that we had on Yoda, on baby Yoda. So but overall, great episode, though. Yeah. IG-11 to nurse and protect. Amazing. Uh, the comedic biker scouts that we all want to kill, but they were <laughs> fucking funny. The armorer awesome. kicks some ass. It becomes one of my favorite Star Wars characters of all time. Yeah. Uh, the Mandalorian's name is Din Jaren. Epic displays of the force, a tiny bit on the backstory of Yoda's species, a lot of heart, and Moff Gideon and the fucking dark saber. <laughs> that that made me go, oh crap, when that happened. That made me come. <laughs> because I was like going, what is that doing in oh, his head? The dark saber! The dark <laughs> saber! Oh, <laughs> that's impossible! <laughs> That's what I was like, dude, too. I was like, how the hell does he have this? He's not supposed to. Dude, I fucking loved it, dude. And the fact that, oh, my God, the fact that Giancarlo Esposito, dude, who would have thought he would be wielding the goddamn Darksaber ever when he was announced that he would be acting in this, who I'm a huge fan of Giancarlo Esposito. I mean, I never would have thought I would see him wielding the goddamn dark saber dave and it and it's it, for me this relic of star wars needed to be in this series because you're talking about the mandalorian the dark saber is it, part it, of the yep. mandalore's mandalore's history and we didn't get into it too much during the regular mandalorian discussions because we were too focused on the story and where we were going but yeah. leading up to the mandalorian before the first episode dropped on Disney Plus, you and I had gone back and forth about the Darksaber. Mm-hmm. And is this going to be a thing? Should it be a thing? Are we going to connect this a little bit more deeper to the last time we saw the Mandalorians and Rebels? Which they have to. And based on what we heard in this final episode, and we're going to get into that in a moment here. I mean, they absolutely are going to start drawing those connections to Clone Wars and Rebels, Rebels. especially after the whole Darksaber. And I think with the first season, they're probably taking it. And I don't want to say they're going down a safe route, but I'm trying to say they're easing people in. Uh, And I think moving into season two, I don't think there's going to be a reason to hold back, Dave, because Rise of Skywalker is out. Yeah. Um, Clone Wars, by the time Mandalorian season two comes out, has been aired, premiered, done. We're going to lock it in a vault and it's done forever. Right. So there is no longer anything in the way of moving forward when it comes to stories for the Mandalorian right now in the first season. You get the idea they were trying to play it safe. They didn't want to step on the toes of what you might see in Clone Wars, and you didn't want to step on the toes of things we may see in The Rise of Skywalker. But now we, there's nothing in the way. There's nothing planned. The Mandalorian is the only thing that pretty much all the Lucasfilm's attention is going to be on The Mandalorian the for Mandalorian. season two. Yeah, and like it should be because honestly, this has been the one thing, the one positive thing. That, that no, most of the Star Wars fans can rally behind. Rally yeah. behind. We yeah. need a series that we can rally behind. Mandalorian's it. And whether you like the, how the current Star Wars is or not, it's amazing to me that even the trolls say, damn, Mandalorian's good. 
I can't say anything bad about it. Yeah. Because if I say anything bad about it, what kind of Star Wars fan am I? <laughs> because it has that feel of the Star Wars film. And it's like that feeling that, oh, my God, this is awesome. You want something to blow your mind. Yeah. And we just don't get that anymore. We don't get that. We don't get that anymore. Well, maybe we're not being fair. Um, Let's see. Were we blown away at all with the new sequel trilogy? Like, I'm not saying I didn't like it. I love it. But I, I mean, were we like, holy shit, we weren't, right? No. I mean, there were great moments and stuff like that, but nothing yeah. that's a, oh my God, this yeah. is Star Wars. Because that Dark Saber moment did, it was that. It, it was, was like, that. holy shit. And that's why I used that joke, the Luke Skywalker thing. No, that's impossible because <laughs> that's the last time we were blown away but in Star how, Wars. That's how you can tell that you had that Star Wars moment yeah. where it just leaves you like ma- mouth, a, a gasp just saying holy shit how does this work we know what it is and then we all get giddy about it yeah and we're gonna get into the dark saber uh a bit later in the show because i'm I'm not gonna take for granted that um we may have newbies who may not be completely involved with everything star wars and they may not know what the dark saber is so we'll get into that even though we have actually gone into detail before dave we have gone into depth yes on discussions on the dark saber and what it, you know, I think we went into it during a, uh, a, 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 yeah, a rebels discussion. rebels discussion, because this is one of those elements that I think that Dave Filoni crafted himself. That was genius. Yeah. I mean it. And that's what I think about man now with Mandalorian is like with Mandalorian season two coming out and they bring in the dark saber, they're starting to bring in these elements that if you've been watching rebels and clone wars you're getting the payoff that you want where you say hey these series that i loved and i grew up on they matter they truly matter and that's what made that that scene so important because like i'll never forget the the time that we watched that episode is one of my favorite episodes is when he goes when filoni tells the story of how the dark saber ties to mandalorian Right. The Mandalorian history in regards to their, their battle with the Jedi. And I'm mm-hmm. like, it's fantastic. It's so cool. It's so over the top. And it makes that, that relic so important to us as star Wars fans. And like the fact that we finally get to see it in, in live, live action. action. Yeah, Dave. Holy crap. Yeah. I mean, forget the jetpack. The jetpack was cool. <laughs> him getting the jetpack was fine. I love that he levels up. Yeah, he kind of leveled up. You're right. <laughs> yeah, but like the jetpack was fine. But the dark saber. Anyone who is a fan of Mandalorian history or the Mandalores, they had to cream in their armor. Yeah, when they saw that. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, I was very pleased with the finale, and yes. I'm hoping, Dave, that the final two to three episodes that we had, I'm hoping. They reflect a direction that Favaro and Filoni plan to take for season two. Yeah. I All do, right. So too. directed this episode was directed by Taika Watiti. Uh, and I know I'm probably saying his name wrong. And you know what? And guess what? I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. And this episode was written by John Favaro. The synopsis, the Mandalorian comes face to face with an unexpected enemy. All right, so let's get into the Darksaber stuff. Let's just jump into it since we're already there. We've actually gone, as I said, into great detail about the Darksaber during a Rebels broadcast. But essentially, let's for layman, layman's, let's make it for a, easy for a layman. A layman, okay. To understand. Essentially, whoever has the Darksaber is the leader of Mandalore. 
Yes. That's the idea. And that's a very simplistic way to take it um, or a way to explain it. But that's the gist of it. Uh, there is some heavy history about it. Um, we can get into it now if you just give me a second here. If you want, I have the, I have it right here from the Star Wars wiki. Go ahead. Give us the details. on. Okay. That. So the dark saber was an ancient and unique black bladed lightsaber created by Tara Vesla, the first Mandalorian ever inducted into the Jedi order uh, prior to 1019 BBY. Uh, oh, look at you. The weapon was kept in the Jedi temple after Vizsla's passing, but members of house Vizsla stole the saber in a conflict with the Jedi during the fall of the old Republic. The dark saber was passed down generation to generation, by the ancestors of Pre Vizsla, who held on to the weapon even after uh, pacifist ideals of the new Mandalorians replaced the warrior ways of Mandalore. So it's basically this weapon that gets passed down generation to generation, and whoever wields it is the ruler of Mandalore, or what was Mandalore. And the, it's their leader. That's why when it's covered again in... Uh, Star Wars Rebels, it's so important for um, Sabine to get that weapon and why she was trained with it through with Kanan because well, she, she was going to well, be Hold the, on, you're getting way into things. You got to explain who that is. Summarize, Dave. Okay, so the last we've seen of the Darksaber, at one point in Clone Wars, Darth Maul had it. Yes. Then in Star Wars Rebels, Sabine finds it in Darth Maul's stronghold yes. on Dathmir. Mm -hmm. She then claims it, takes it back to Mandalore and returns this important piece of history to the Mandalorian people. And the idea is, is that whoever has it rules Mandalore. Yes. And that's all we know of it since then. Uh, Sabine hands it off to someone else. I forget who she hands it on it to. It was uh, Bo-Katan, the Bo-Krees. Bo Okay, so they have it. That's the last thing we know about the Darksaber. So that being said, there is a lot to explain. And we have actually said this since the beginning of episode one of The Mandalorian. We know almost nothing about the Mandalorian people post New Hope because they're very different. There's things that need to be explained. The helmet situation. Uh, this is the way slogan, why they're hiding. Yes, we kind of got into that a bit. We understand that uh, Moff Gideon was involved in some type of potentially genocide of the Mandalorian, the Mandalorian people. people. Uh, and I'm assuming that's how he got control of the dark saber. Well, so cool that's thing, where we're at right now when it comes to the dark saber. The cool thing is in the Star Wars wiki, and this is the official Star Wars wiki page. So oh, that, the this official. Is, this is actual true it says here by nine aby after the battle of yavin so nine years after the battle mm -hmm. of yavin the weapon fell into the hands of moff gideon yeah so nine years after the battle of yavin that's when gideon gets the saber yeah so there's a lot of there's a lot of time there that yeah. we could flesh out and uh figure out what exactly happened to the mandalorian people and why gideon uh, has control of the dark saber. And I'm assuming they're going to get into this during season two. That would only make sense with that awesome come worthy cliffhanger we had. You you figure because I mean, before that, I mean, we're talking that the last time it was seen was Sabine handing it over to 
trees at the end of Rebels, which put it, what, a couple years before Endor? Before no, the Battle it, of Endor? Uh, Rebels was uh, like... Less than a year away, right? So you're looking at nine to ten years. So that's, a, just like we said, that's a lot of time to actually leave there and say, what the hell happened? Yeah. Because the last time we saw the Mandalores too, they were on the uprise. Because remember, Sabine They were left. getting through a civil war. They were getting yeah. through a civil war. They became unified. And suddenly, oh no, they get wiped out. They're a doomed people. They're, <laughs> like, I, I mean, they can't I was, get a break. If I was Sabine, I'd be pissed off. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, and also, it, it might even lead to her story from Rebels. Why did she leave? If her people were suffering, why would she take off to go look for Ezra? Like, it doesn't. It doesn't question. really work, and that's that why I'm saying, Dave. That's why I'm saying that there are a lot of things they need to work through now. Now that the Mandalorian went there, they're going to. If the Mandalorian people fell apart, why did Sabine leave? Because Ezra's it, force abilities were that good. So stupid. <laughs> it doesn't seem to be on par with her character and and who she became by the end of Rebels. It doesn't fit with what we know of her. She would not have left if her people were being. Uh, obliterated basically right now maybe she left because of that it was over and that's the sabine we see now walking to go find ezra for whatever reason so we'll find out but i'm I'm hoping we get into that territory now and i don't think these are fan wants i don't think these are like well let's do this because that's what i want as a fan i think these are things that are intrinsically tied in terms of canon that actually have to be if we're going the mandalorian route and we brought the fucking dark saber in now we have to get into these things. Yeah. These are questions that have to be answered. We can't just skim past them. Oh, yeah. And and the cool thing that actually ties into the reveal of the Darksaber scene, too, when you t- when you actually think about it, you touched on the, the armorer. I like the armor mentioning that, oh, we used to work with some sorcerers. Oh, she didn't say they worked with them, Dave. Yeah. Oh, oh, no, that's true. She didn't say they worked with them. <laughs> she knew about them. Yeah. <laughs> so, like... Having that, she alluded to the fact that they were their enemies. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I was like going, okay, something strange happened. Well, and that's, they kind of alluded to Yoda's species. And that's something that I was definitely geeked up about. Uh, the armorer said, the songs of eons past tell of battles between Mandalore the Great and an order of sorcerers called Jedi who fought with such power. Now, it seems like a lot of people just assumed, because this is the interesting part for me. It seems like a lot of people just assumed they were talking about the more recent events, but not knowing the history of the Jedi and the Mandalore. And Mandalore, there's always been a shaky relationship between the two. Oh, yeah. With this, it seems more purposeful in how that scene was written. This is not just the issues they had during the Clone Wars. This isn't the issues during rebels per se there is a long history from eons past now eons is more than a thousand years eons typically refer to a billion years or more so she's talking about i don't think she's talking about jedi why would she talk of songs of eons past if she's just talking about the jedi that were 40 years ago exactly she's not talking about the jedi council of the republic Mm-hmm. She's talking about an ancient order of Jedi. Exactly, and I'm assuming yeah. this ancient order 
are Yoda, are the Yoda species, an ancient order of sorcerers. I'm assuming that's what the species belongs to because the wording was very precise. It wasn't, oh, the, the Jedi of the Republic. It was eons past. past. Billions of years ago, we waged war against a Jedi order of sorcerers. I mean, when you think about it, the events of the Clone Wars is roughly 25, 30 years prior to yeah, the Mandalorian. That's not eons. Right. So she wouldn't use eons to describe such a thing. That's why I was like, think maybe they're talking about the story that was originally weaved by Filoni about Terra Vizsla. You know, Terra Vizsla was originally a member of the Jedi Order in the Old Republic days, and that's eons. The Old Republic. I thought that was only like eons. thousands, thousands. I think it's I don't think it's billions, Dave. We're not talking about billions of years here. Mm, that, that that is true. If it is eons, then it would be almost like almost a billion years. But that's probably the oldest I could think of, though. And you're thinking about Vizla. you're talking about if we're talking eons, we're talking about the very early stages of life in the galaxy. You're talking about the the wellspring of life and midichlorians. They're going far, Dave. But we're not talking about Vizsla and the, the ancient Jedi. We're talking about the beginning of life and the Force. And if they go that route with this ancient Jedi Order, that is the species that Yoda's from, I feel like that's the only just way to explore Yoda's past. He has to be from an ancient order. It would bring relevance to this character in a way that would feel suitable for a character that's all wise and mysterious and all knowing. So if you were to connect his backstory, hit the speed or his, the backstory of his species to the very beginnings of the force and the wellspring of life, then we're talking, we're talking some massive kudos that needs to go out to Filoni and Favaro. If Favaro was the only one doing this, Dave, then I would be a little hesitant and nervous, but the fact that this is Filoni's wheelhouse, this is the type of stuff Filoni lives for, digging into Star Wars mythos, then I think we're in good hands. We're in good hands. And we may actually get that. But if they are alluding to something more ancient, a group of sorcerers that were Jedi, as we dig into the expanding universe, there are, if you dig into the expanding universe of Star Wars, and now retconned expanded universe, there, there is a much bigger pantheon of Jedi. It's not just the Jedi Order of the Republic. Now, now, Mike, Mike, we don't need a mess in the studio. So stupid. <laughs> because seriously, if they did that, you know, I just got done saying how giddy I was seeing the Darksaber. Right. If they were to do something like this, a storyline that basically in Mandalorian to, to delve into the beginnings of the Star Wars universe... Forget it. And maybe this will lead into the, the planned movies they're going to do. Maybe this is actually laying down that, that the, groundwork. The groundwork for basically the, uh, I think it's the Game of Thrones guys, they were discussing about it. Right. They're no longer a part of it, but they're still, according to reports, Lucasfilm is still planning on, on delving into those storylines. So we'll see, Dave. But honestly, if they're going into this expanded universe realm and they're going to be digging into that that box we always talk about the uh, the legends box. There there is an entire there are an entire pantheon of Jedi. 
that have been explored in the expanded universe. And this is why I have this specific theory, Dave. Are you ready to hear it? Yes. This is my theory. I don't think she's talking about Jedi as the religion. The Jedi we know of the Republic. Even the ancient Jedi. I think she's specifically talking about the species itself. Okay. Now bear with me, Dave. Perhaps it's a Sith thing. <laughs> I see the just like the Sith were a people, then it yeah. then it became a bit of a doctrine or a way of viewing the Force in a religious sense, in an ideological uh, sense. What if the Jedi were in fact pretty much the same thing? What if the the origins of the Jedi were just like the Sith? It started as a species that then turned into an order. See, that would be freaking cool. And Yoda is actually a member of the Jedi, Jedi species. Yeah. And it would go go into line with the the legacy mythos that all the Star Wars fans know. I mean, like, take that into account with alongside with what we saw in uh Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. With the Emperor talking about how he went into the outer skirt uh, the 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 outer rim area i like to go on the outer rim sometimes <laughs> but basically the, the the far away area of star wars universe and found a race that treated him like a god because of his tie to the sith wait what because remember remember he the the whole all those weird shrouded people that actually worshipped him <laughs> that was in the arena yeah. we were like going who are they why are they worshipping him why the heck are, who are these people this would give credence to your idea that basically they're trying to actually delve into the the background of the force. Well, it, they should have a long time ago. A long time ago. Hey, but better late than never. Yeah. <laughs> so either way, it's real cool, and it seems like it it'll is. be a big part of the myth arc for season two, uh, especially the way they set it up. I mean, hey, if this – if your mission, if you choose to accept, is to take this youngling or this foundling and go help him find his people. I mean, Dude. that's the setup for season two. And the fact that yeah. Baby Yoda is now a, a Mandalorian. A Mandalorian. <laughs> that's actually really awesome. <laughs> that is pretty cool, actually. And and I did like that moment when the armor proclaimed them the clan of two. They're a clan of two now. What if the foundling, Baby Yoda, becomes like something truly important within the Mandalorian culture. What if he and Din Jaren are the ones to actually fix and reunite the Mandalorian people and make them great again? What if that's their story? What if that's their destiny? Because know, when you I, think about it, Vizsla was one of the most worshipped and revered Mandalorians, right? Yes. Because he was a Jedi. He was inducted into the Jedi and he had the force. Now we have this super being who's now being trained as a Mandalorian. What if these two individuals are the ones to basically fix repair and bring about the greatness of Mandalore again? The, the only problem with that, and this is just because I'm a, I'm a rebels fanboy. Oh, I don't want it taking away from the importance of Sabine. It's over dude. Because Sabine that moment, it's over. They already did. The yeah. people have been destroyed. They're dead. Yeah. Game over. <laughs> but then that means that Sabine failed. Not really. She united her people. I think the way, the story they tell afterwards, did they fight together? Did they fight as one people? Then I think she succeeded. If she did not unite them, 
like she did. I see your point, Dave. I'm, I'm kind of losing my train of thought here, but it depends on how they end up revealing how, how they it reveal happened. It. Because yeah. she did unite her people. They were in a civil war. They were being manipulated by the empire. Exactly. Being defeated from within. And she was able to bring them together to change their focus and find the put their sights, I should say, on their real enemy. So if that's her story, that she reunited her, reunited her people uh, and ended a civil war, then I don't think her story is a failure. Is a failure. No, that's like saying Abraham Lincoln freeing the slaves and the, the ending of the civil war didn't matter because he was shot. And uh, then we had another president and we still had a century long of racism. That's a good point. That's a good point. Thank you for talking me off the ledge. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I definitely get your point. It's very valid. It, and and they could destroy this character's story arc if they're not careful. If they're not careful. But when you think about the fact that Filoni's there, he's going to protect his characters. <laughs> exactly. And that's why I'm not worried. If okay. Filoni wasn't the executive producer on The Mandalorian, then I would be a little concerned. See, and that's how you talk off. A fanboy off the ledge. Yeah. <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy wanted you to jump. <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy's like, come on. Go ahead and jump. Come on and jump. Son of a bitch. Do it. Do it. Hate you. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So there's still a lot to uncover. Uh, they will eventually need to discuss the change, as I mentioned, in the Mandalorian behavior. This is a big thing. It bothered me a bit, but I, I'm patient and I'm willing to wait for the story, the explanation behind the changes in the Mandalorian uh, belief structure and how they do things like the helmet situation. This is something completely new. And for people who have not watched the Clone Wars or Rebels, the helmet thing, never taking your helmet off has never been a thing ever. Right, Dave? No, it hasn't. Otherwise, Sabine would be in trouble. Uh, yes. <laughs> and remembering that the events of Star Wars Rebels butt up against A New Hope and rebels heavily explored the Mandalorian people. I'd assume that if it, it had something to do, as we had alluded to, with their defeat or destruction at the hands of Moff Gideon. But then Din Jaren, and this is where it, and this is where it gets a little confusing. But Din Jaren said he hadn't taken off the helmet since he was a child, since he was a foundling, which obviously predates rebels. So what's going on here? Do you see the the contradictions? Exactly. And that's that's the one thing that I'm trying I'm I'm excited to see where it, I know that they got to address it. They have to. Because it was such a it was such a important plot story for Filoni. If you look at it not just in Rebels, the story of Mandalorians went into not only just basically uh, the Rebel series, but also in the Clone Wars. And when you get to the new Clone Wars series that's coming out with the with the quote unquote final season of Clone Wars coming out in February, it's gonna touch not just the question where how do we get to Attack of the Clones, but also it's apparently going to touch on the Mandalorians. Well it has to. Isn't it called the the um The Siege of Mandalore? The Siege of Mandalore. Yeah. <laughs> and like well, they're obviously, and we're going to be covering that too, but there's obviously going to be connections. There's going to be connections. Yeah. There has to be because Filoni's no fool. Oh, yeah, there's got to be He connections. knows what his story is. Yeah. He's so. not going to make Pablo just his head explode. <laughs> <laughs> 
He probably wants Kathleen Kinney's head to explode. Yeah, he doesn't, doesn't want Pablo's head to explode because Pablo's our, you know, archivist. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so the Mandalorian's backstory, um, stitching together fragments from previous episodes, we're told that the Mando is not from Mandalore. His family was killed during an attack by uh, super battle droids, which is why he mistrusts droids. Yep. Uh, he was rescued by a squad of Mandalorians and raised as one of their own. It's still unclear who was commanding those battle droids, however. So I'm sure that will be explored at a later date. Uh, Cara Dune is from Alderaan. Yeah, as that was part- an interesting Easter egg. Would you call it an Easter egg? Um, no, I just consider it an interesting reveal. It's an interesting reveal that yeah. she came from Alderaan. Yeah. So how does she feel about it being destroyed? But either way, knowing that what comes, okay, we know that the baggage that comes with being from Alderaan at this time. I mean, you're dealing with a society that was completely obliterated by the empire. Um, family, I'm sure completely dead. She might be the last member of her family alive. So that right there does wonders for character development. Mm-hmm. What more can be said? Really? Now we understand why she's a shock trooper, why exactly, she willingly yes. became a mercenary and was willing to execute ex Imperials. Exactly. It makes perfect sense. And, and it, it, you know, the whole thing about Cara Doom, Cara, it, her character, her entire character arc this season, me and you have been hammering at it. Yeah. And chiseling at it, basically saying how weak it is. But simply doing that, simply basically making that connection to, hey, she's from Alderaan. And then all of a sudden, all Star Wars fans just go, oh, oh, okay. We understand why you're a little rough around the edges now. Because it, it, it it's kind of like what they should have done with Kaz in Resistance. I mean, if you think about it, they just fixed a character that me and you've been hammering this entire season how, you know, it, she's been one of the weak points. But simply making it her connection to Alderaan and a planet that was blown up by the Imperials, suddenly we have sympathy for and we understand her. And maybe, I mean, to be fair, we, we, I don't want to say she's one of the weak points, but I, I feel like it's just episode four's direction. The episode four direction was just the tone. Everything was off about that episode. Everything was off about the episode. And but that also, was her introduction, unfortunately. Yeah. And, and the character sometimes has felt forced. Yeah. But it, it, episode seven and eight, she's just fine. Yeah. So it's just a matter of the director, I think, with certain actors. You know, uh, if you have a good director, they can they can get the very best out of their talent. Well, when you think about it, most of the the episodes of Mandalorian that me and you have praised, the director has been on on their A game. Yeah. Uh, Grief Karga is a disgrace magistrate. <laughs> so he was some type of former lawman of sorts, yep. apparently. So looking to learn more about him and Moff Gideon's backstory, uh, as we know, Moff is a rank. So we already knew that uh, this character was a former Imperial regional governor of some kind. Uh, but now we learn he was also, and this is the big part. He was also an Imperial security, security bureau officer, which is essentially like the Imperial KGB. Yeah. Or if the you, SS. Yes. 
And uh, he was the ISB during he was part of the ISB during the purge of Mandalore. Also, he was supposed to have been executed for war crimes. Yep. Apparently he got away. He got away. And you know what was cool about actually seeing that was like it tied into the one Star Wars comic that me and you covered about the one agent that worked under that branch. If you remember, it was the secret secret service agent. It was almost kind of like a James Bond type of character. Yeah. And I love the fact that they brought that that little the little nod that basically said, oh, yeah, they had that that branch still there. So that character did make sense. And why why he was given that 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 title. And I hope that we see more. I'm sure we will. From that. Yeah. Because Moff because the connection to Moff Gideon, dude, this villain is gearing up to be probably one of the best villains in Star Wars. Yeah. So big questions for next season, Dave. Boots in episode five. That wasn't there for no reason. Oh, I'm actually surprised we didn't go back to it in some way. I'm I'm a little that's my little irritation. It, it, it's a bit strange that now if you wanted to do something like that during the final two episodes that are essentially one ep, one finale when you really look at it, that would make sense because you're setting up for next year. But you're talking like three episodes prior. Yeah. And they never went back to it. That's a little strange. So we have that for next year. Also, is Baby Yoda a clone or an original that the Empire was trying to clone? Yeah, because they didn't answer that. They didn't answer the whole uh, connection of that doctor that was working on Baby Yoda. Right. But they did have Quill say something. Like, he alluded to the idea or the fact that he wasn't a clone. Something about this baby being unique. Along, something along that effect. Do you remember that? A little bit, Episode yeah. 7, I believe he said he said that, yeah. uh, but the cool thing for next season is that the door is wide open. Now, as I said earlier, uh, clone wars final season will have dropped already. Yes. Uh, the rise of Skywalker is out and the Skywalker saga is essentially over as we know it. It's done. It's done. Yeah. So the sky's the limit. They're really, they can't, they, there are no doors that they can't open. There's no walls. There's no feet that they could potentially walk on. I feel like they're able to do a lot more now. Yeah. The, honestly, the only thing that, that could hold back the, the, the train of Star Wars right now is the, its execution. Yeah. And that's why now all eyes are on like the producers like Kathleen Kennedy and Bob Iger and all of them. You have to treat you. For God's sakes, you have an opportunity here. Take it. Right. Execute it. Yeah. Right? Don't just like leave it lying. Don't say, oh, well, we'll wait a couple of months or we'll delay it. And suddenly your window closes of opportunity. Now that you have this positive series that all Star Wars fans are getting behind. Hit the hit the dude, while it's hot. Not just Star Wars fans. You have a lot of normies out there who were really on board with the Mandalorian. Oh, yeah. So that's something that Star Wars. Fin- I mean, Star Wars. Uh, the fact that a live action Star Wars show can break the the geek and mainstream. Um, divide, mm-hmm. you know, the chasm. Like they were able to bridge that over, which a lot of times these types of TV shows can't do that. So it shows the power of an interesting show, what you can do. The fact that you're getting all these normal people. And I say normal people, I'm saying the non 
typical nerd Star Wars fans like ourselves who are willing to, you know, sit down, watch the show. I mean, I have a bunch of people on my feeds who are not huge Star Wars fans, and they have now gotten into Star Wars because they enjoyed the hell out of the Mandalorian. Mm -hmm. And they have sent me messages saying, dude, I want to, I want something else. What's next? I'm like, well, watch Rebels, watch Clone Wars. And surprisingly, they started watching it. And guess what? They fucking love it. And they can't believe they've never watched it before. So it is, it's it's bringing in new people, Dave. Oh yeah. And that's the thing. That's the power of this series right now with all its flaws that we've been mentioning. You have the sky's the limit. You have no excuses now. You got to actually make season two count more. And like, yeah, we have our, we have our wants for season two and they're probably, you know, fan wants, but Still, we will take whatever you give us for season two because you left it off on a good note. You know, that's why things like the boots thing doesn't bother me as much because I'm like going, well, they got to answer that just like what you said. At the end of the day, we saw what John Favreau's story was going to be about the Mandalorian. The other things, and I, I noticed this after I watched chapter eight, we got... Favreau's overall story, but the the episodes that were peppered in between that quote unquote are standalone were stuff that was created by Filoni and his crew that basically we can actually say, okay, we're going to add these elements to, to the Mandalorian and maybe we'll touch on them on season two. Right. That works. You gave me a full fledged story and some build up for the next season. That shows how much Filoni knows and yeah. starts planning things out. <laughs> well, it's pretty smart what they're doing, because even from the visual effects standpoint, um, a lot of articles have come out over the last three or four weeks praising some of the innovative tricks that oh, they man. are pulling. Yeah. And I have a few visual effects friends from Hollywood that had sent me articles before these articles broke. And I really wish I was on air before because we would have broke the news first about some of these things that they're doing. Um, but. A lot of the work they're doing, the visual effects, a lot of people assume there's a lot of studio work in terms of green screen chroma key. Uh, But actually, they're doing a lot, um, little, almost like, I guess a good way to explain it would be they're doing a lot of effects work in, I don't want to call it in camera, but physically, meaning um, kind of like what Solo did, where Solo had LED projections and LED projection screens And basically what you're doing is you're creating an environment inside of a studio. So you don't have to go on location to shoot that desert scene and you don't have to pretend there's nothing around you because you're standing in front of a green screen or a blue screen. You're not doing standard chroma key. Mm -hmm. What you have are video walls or video screens, LED screens around you with an environment that's already been shot by, let's say, the B camera team or some camera Um, department or by the camera department during pre-production. So you have these sets where they're completely immersive. So the actors feel like they're on location because you have these high resolution screens, video walls that are surrounding the actors. So when they're out on the desert, yes, they're not physically out there, but the audience, we are benefiting from a physical set because it's shot. It's just shot before the actual principal photography begins. Yeah. So it's pretty fucking amazing and it's going to change the way 
visual effects is being done. And I'm a big visual effects guy. I love it. I have tried my hand at visual effects for countless years. I've built miniatures. I've won awards for VFX. And the fact that chroma key may actually eventually be phased out is fucking mind blowing. It is because green screen has been such a big part of filmmaking for as long as I can remember. It's been a go-to tool for filmmakers but now with these video walls that you're able to pull up essentially visual effects is no longer cgi or or working on set extensions are no longer going to be a thing that you do doing during post-production according to a few of my buddies they said hey visual effects now the way it's going is going to be a part of the production team now it's no longer going to be post-production it's going to be part part of in All pro- production is going to be in production and a big part, even more so in pre-production and not just the usual standard thing that you do, which you're play, you know, with pre-production. And when it comes to visual effects, you got to plan out your pipeline, how it's all going to work out. It's going to be more in depth, more detailed. The fact that you're going out and shooting things by yourself, essentially talk about saving money, by the way, oh, heck yeah. sending one or two camera guys to shoot some locations in the Himalayas or out in the fucking Sudan and you don't have to bring out everyone else. You just bring back your high resolution photos or videos and then put them up on the video screens. Video screen. And then the actor can still act to what is in front of him instead of a little tennis ball. Right. And like some of the stuff, dude, I've been loving because me and you could actually really honestly talk shows upon shows on the Mandalorian and the effects that oh, yeah. they did here. I mean, one of the, one of the, thing for me it's the it's the toys it's the gear it's the rigs that they come up with some of the rigs that they've come up with i'm like going i didn't know that was there and they were like going yeah this has been around for a while but people just don't use it yeah and i'm like going why are not more filmmakers using this because if it's out there and you're getting this type of quality why not and people say oh well they're they're worried that it's gonna look make it look too chintzy yeah and stuff like that. I'm not going. Well, it's physically Man- there. The Mandalorian it's- has shown that basically yeah. some of that stuff out there that's not being used. Yeah. Can pretty crazy. Can be absolutely beautiful. Yeah. It's pretty. It's pretty amazing the things they're doing and the fact that this is going to save time in the long run. This may even help with budgets because yeah, um, you're going to be cutting back on on pre uh, on post production work. Because if a lot of these things are doing being done in production, you're bypassing the need to sit in an editing suite exactly for you're, you know months on end. You're killing that time. I mean, speaking. I mean, especially when you're looking at green screen shots, there are some green screen shots that spend you're spending months in that editing bay rotoscoping things. For example, another thing my visual effects buddies brought up was the fact that. When they were planning the Mandalorian, there was no way they were they weren't even contemplating green screen. They weren't even thinking green screen because how are they going to do green screen with a guy that's wearing armor that reflects Flex light that reflects <laughs> the green behind him? So when you pull that key, when you pull the green out, you're going to be pulling out pieces of the subject. And believe me, I've been there where an actor wore a reflecting belt or boots and then I'm left there having to rotoscope going into basically rotoscoping is essentially what you're doing is you're tracing. And with video, you can't just it's not Photoshop. You don't just do one trace and you're done. You have to trace every single fucking frame. 
until you're done with that scene, which yeah. could take weeks, if not months, months, months sometimes. So the fact that green screen was it wouldn't even be a a a decision they wanted to do with the Mandalorian. So, and yes, they did use green screen. There are things that you're always going to have to use it for, but it's a beautiful time to be involved in visual effects because you're no longer doing things because that's the only way you can do it. You're not doing CGI because it's the only way we can do it. You're not doing green screen because it's the only way we, we can, can do, do it. it. We're not doing physical sets or practical effects because it's the only way we can do it. Now, suddenly the filmmaker has a plethora of tools in his in his filmmaking box and he can utilize whatever aspect of the visual effects process he wants to that fits the need of the project and visual effects has never quite been where they're at today it's usually you've been a slave to one thing you're no longer a slave to one thing. You have so many fucking options. It's 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 a beautiful time to be alive for visual effects. For artists. visual effects artists, yeah. Because like, I encourage people to actually just look up the behind the scene photos of Mandal- uh, Mandalorian, and you will be shocked how simple some of these shots look. Thanks to that new technology of actually using the the. Uh, the projection walls. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite shots behind the scenes is of the Mandalorian and there you have the crew around him. He's walking on essentially a gigantic treadmill and he's just walking and they have this beautiful, huge screen projection screen around him and the camera's able to go completely nearly, nearly 360 around him without any, without any problem. It's amazing what they were able to pull off and I honestly think that's partially why George Lucas w- was brought back because George kind of l- had to have looked at this and said, okay, you're doing my wheelhouse, which was effects. Whether you like it or not, George Lucas constantly wanted to push the world of effects forward. He wanted to always see the, he wanted to push it past its limits that's why, you know, what he did in the prequels. He pushed green screen technology as far as he could and go past it. This right here does what George would have wanted. You take the technology and you push it to its limits and say, okay, we got to the limits. Let's push it f- completely past its limits. Let's take this projection wall that is flat and let's just take that technology and say, what if we put the projection wall 360 around us? Can we pull it off? Yeah. It's awesome. Dude, you're right. It, You know, we throw around the term golden age a lot, but we're, I believe we are really truly entering a golden age of effects work because people are willing to push that technology forward without any fear of basically saying, hey, it's going to look terrible. It's going to look terrible. Just do your best and shoot it. Work with work, just push the technology as far as you can because if you can, you'll be able to pull off some of the shots that they did in Mandalorian are absolutely beautiful. They're they're gorgeous. I mean, when I got to see the behind the scenes of this, I literally thought, oh, they're shooting on location. They have to be. They have to be shooting at at this desert location. How is he walking? You know, so crisply in this landscape shot when it obviously looks like it, they're there. But then I see the behind the scenes and I'm like going, he's on a fucking treadmill. <laughs> how does, how yeah. does this work? 
insane, dude. It's insane. I love it. All right. Well, you know, we can squee all over visual effects forever, probably. But uh, oh, yeah. we need to bring this discussion to a close. Dave, give me your final thoughts quickly because we already have con. We have already kind of gone over our time. So the final thoughts on Mandalorian. Well, and, you're, and you're great. You're RMD grade. For the whole series or just this episode? Just this episode, Dave. Just this episode. Come on. All right. When it comes to this episode, I'm going to give this final episode of Mandalorian a 89. Uh, that's why I've written down here. Mm-hmm. Just because they gave us something that gets us really excited for season two. Do I, I still have issues with their pacing in this episode, but I honestly think that it's just because of how the entire series was cut and spaced out. And at the end of the day, I still say, give me more than just 25 freaking minutes an episode because you told me a fantastic story. And I honestly feel that if you, you lengthened this out to like 40 or 60 minutes and just gave us that bit more of character development, my 89 would have been close, closer to like a 94, 95, but in itself, I give it an 89. I really like this final episode. I, I love the cliffhangers that they gave. The visual effects are top notch. Some of the best I've seen, Pretty rival. Uh, I mean, my my entire bar was Star Trek Discovery because of how well they produced their effects. I honestly think Mandalorian comes very close to topping them because they fooled me. They fooled my eye. They made me believe that basically, oh, they're out on set. No, no, no. This is all in studio. <laughs> so I give them massive props for that and why my grade is a, a little a, even higher than normal people would give. So I give this an 89 for the episode. All right. I'm going to follow you up with an 87 is what I give this episode. Uh, very strong episode. One of the strongest episodes of the year. Um, I, too, had a few problems, not with pacing, but with some of the juxtaposition of the shots um, towards the end. I felt like they were just kind of, all right, guys, it's over. Like, yeah. for example, when the Mandalorian flew off, he had already left um, Dune and Grief, Karga. Mm -hmm. Like, you would assume a long time ago because he had to get to his ship. And then suddenly they're still out in the desert walking and they see him fly away. And then Moff Gideon crashes, uh, apparently far away, but then we see the smoke. It seems really close to Karga and Dune, I'm like, okay, I, I know that's nitpicky, but hey, there are things you can do to kind of space those scenes out to where they don't feel like they're on top of each other, those moments. Um, the heart of this episode was what keeps this episode strong. Uh, strong motions, strong camaraderie amongst our, our crew, humor, sadness. I mean, this is what Star Wars is. Th this episode is a perfect example of what Star Wars is. And I, that's why I give it an 80, what did I say, 87? 87. 87%. I'm hoping they take all of the positive from the last two or three episodes and they use those elements to craft season two so that we don't have the hiccups. I felt like I was a bit on a, bit on a roller coaster for the first, for most of the season of The Mandalorian. I will say this. I'm glad people love it and enjoy it. And I hope more people like it. I'll never tell people not to like something. But this is nowhere 
close to being better than the sequel trilogy. I see people saying, oh, this is better than anything we've ever gotten in the sequel trilogy. And I'm like, ah, come on. Mm, yeah, that's a little hyperbolic. It's a hyperbolic. Like, it's a little- is it great? Yes. But I mean, calm down. There, there's, there's, um, there's a maturity and professionalism to the sequel trilogy that the Mandalorian has a touched on. Yeah. Uh, the Mandalorian feels a little, I don't want to say amateurish because that'd be, uh, that would be an asshole. Uh, but there's room for finesse. If that makes any sense. No, it does because I mean, we just spent so much time discussing about how great the effects were in Mandalorian. But if you, if you compare it to like cinematic effects, like say in the rise of Skywalker, man, rise of Skywalker's effects were beautifully done. It does. The Mandalorian have the ability over time to be better than the sequel truly doesn't have as it, as it moves through the seasons and it gets to season five and you see this overall story that's unfolded. Absolutely. But I mean, guys, eight episodes in, that's just unfair. Like, yeah, like that's just unfair. you blowing something because there's some action in there and some shooting. And mm-hmm. yeah. So um, I want to thank everybody for listening. If you want more star Wars from the back to tank, we are officially back. So we are going to start pushing out those Patreon shows. We have a few discussions planned. I believe the rise of Kylo Ren will be dropped our review on the rise of Kylo Ren will be dropped later this week, uh, as well as our final discussions on Target Vader number five and six. That will also be out on Patreon. So we are back officially. Head over to patreon.com slash Rayman Digital and pledge three dollars or more a month to gain access to more Star Wars from the back to tank content. Thank you, David. Thank you. May the force be with us. Ah, oh, yes. <laughs>